This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. So how many of you have a real Bible today? Hold your Bible up. If you don't have a real Bible, get a real Bible. Put that silly iPad away. (laughs) Guys, I'm going to tell you something. How on earth can you think that you can have an instrument that has, yes, it's okay, it's, it's, it's okay to have the Bible, but it also has pornography and everything else on the same instrument, okay? This is the Holy Bible right here. This is God's Word. And I'll tell you what, I love to feel the pages of the Bible and to underline and to write in it. And you know what, this will go with you forever. If you drop your phone and lose it, well, anyway, I just recommend we just stay with the Bible, okay? Hallelujah. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them to the book of Mark, the fourth chapter. And we're going to look at, the, in a minute, we're going to look at the 33rd verse. But before I get there, uh, how many of you know that there are times when we suffer some kind of setback in our lives or some kind of grief or unexpected tragedy or trial? Maybe it's in our marriage. Maybe it's in our personal lives or possibly it's even in our nation or our business. But when this happened, our gut wrenches, our soul weakens. In fact, our very trust in God can be shaken. You may wonder why God is allowing you to hurt. It's during these times you may even question your own trust in God. Luke, the sixth chapter, the 21st verse says, Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. One version says you'll be comforted. So if you look at Mark, the fourth chapter with me, I'm going to read from the 33rd verse through the 41st verse. And... I believe that although I've heard this message preached probably a hundred times or messages from this verse a hundred times, I just was drawn to this passage of scripture in the current situation we find ourselves in Zimbabwe and in Africa and even in the world. So in Mark, the fourth chapter, the 33rd verse, it says, and with many such parables spake he the word unto them. And they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. And the same day, when the evening was come, he said unto them, Let's pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, or the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. 
And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The title of my message is Standing Still in the Storm or Standing Still in a Storm. What will, Ju what will Jesus do in our lives? What will Jesus do if the problem that we face is some element that seems unstoppable? What can Jesus do when it seems that nature itself has turned against you? What can Jesus do when it seems that the forces that have arisen in your life are uncontrollable? What can Jesus do? Well, the answer is that Jesus is powerful even in the midst of our storms. When we study this passage of Scripture, you have to understand this has been a very eventful day in Jesus and his disciples' life. Jesus had been preaching by the waterside. He'd been working very, very hard. If you go through, he's teaching the parables of the kingdom. And he's been there for quite some time. And he's using a method, the method of parables. Now, the reason that Jesus used parables was because so many people couldn't understand the scriptures because of the way that the rabbis taught and the leaders of the temple taught. They would go to the temples and they would hear from their rabbis. And during this time, Jesus chided the rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and, and, and the teachers of the law. He said, you load the people down with law and don't even lift your finger to help bear their burdens. He said, you complicate things with all of your laws. And you know, when I think of the times and I think of where we are right now, I see that many times we have teachings that have weighed people down so heavy with the law that we forgot who Jesus really was. Jesus taught the people with parables. We're not trying to bury the truth in law. We're trying to reveal the truth. I'm not so desiring to leave you impressed by what I know. You know, when I was young, when I got out of Bible school, I really thought that theology was to try to make these things so complicated that you could understand how smart I was. Let me describe some things to you. But I have grown in my understanding of the Lord and Here's what I've learned. The more I know about Jesus and the more I know about God, the more I study, the less I really know. You know, how can this infinite God be known or understood in a finite being, in a finite mind? So my mind is racing constantly, and I'm saying, God, the portion I know, the part I know, 
Help me to describe you. Help me to describe how you are. Let me describe your nature. Let me speak out of not theory, not something complicated, but something that's real, something I've experienced. If you will, the parables of my life. Jesus spoke in plain language. Even children could understand what he was saying. The children loved to be around Jesus. The elderly had no problem relating to Jesus. The people that were not formally educated could easily understand the parables of Jesus because he depicted the word of God through stories they could understand. He talked about sowing and reaping. He talked about the mustard seed. He talked about the wheat and the tares, about the sheep and the sheepfold, the lost coin, all these parables of the kingdom, things that people could grasp and understand. And the more he talked, the more the people got excited. And they would say, preach on, pastor. Preach on, rabbi. Many times Jesus would talk hours and hours and hours. And I don't know how they got the message to him, whether they sent a little note up to him or something, but tell us more. Teach us more. They seemed to never get tired of Jesus' teaching. They would follow him. As soon as he got done, he'd say, hey, I, I got to leave, guys. I got to go somewhere else. And they'd follow him. And this is the case in this story. Not only did Jesus get into a boat, it says there were many small ships with him. Many small boats. I can kind of see Jesus. By the way, when you come with us to Israel this next year, how many of you are coming? We go right here to this place where Jesus taught. It's just outside of Capernaum. There's two theories of how he did it. Many believe he stood right by the water's edge and spoke up this hill. There's been times we stood there and you can speak and people far away can hear because it kind of like echoes off the water or something. It's, it's an amazing feeling. But when we eventually get to this place, I can just visualize Jesus speaking to the multitudes. And then he says, okay, my last message, he says, I'm going to step into the back of this boat. I'm going to speak to you. And he gives his last message and he lays down on the pillow and he says, let's go over to the other side. Let's get some rest. And the people are so excited. They get in little boats and they all start taking off together out into the sea. Jesus is tired. He's exhausted. You have to understand, when you preach, you pour yourself out to people. But when you're a man of God, you also carry with you the burden of the criticism of, the, of your critics, the criticism of people. You carry with you the burden of the people that you're ministering to. How many of you know that our pastors very seldom will have one of you come in and say, hey, we love you so much, you're so nice. Most times that you walk through the door of the church, you come with a problem. I very seldom have people bless me. It's usually, pastor, where were you when I needed you? Pastor, we need, pastor, 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 pastor. Yes, I'm here, my sister. I'm here, my brother. God bless you. Yes. 
I'm telling you, being a pastor is hard work. Being a rabbi, Jesus was constantly, Jesus, can you heal my son? Jesus, can we touch the hem of your girl? Gee, people are drawing on you all the time. He was exhausted. He was tired. He laid down in the back of the sheep. The, 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 uh, and, and, you know, somebody says, no, 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 he was just, he was Jesus. Can I tell you something? There's an error in the body of Christ today that makes Jesus either all God or all man. There's some people teaching that Jesus was just man, just like you and I, and only man. And that's not true. He was all man, and he walked on this earth as man. But he was also all God. He was Jesus the Christ. I have to know, Christ wasn't his last name. Christ was his deity. Jesus was his humanity. And, and we got to get this picture right because if you don't get this picture right, you're going to get in trouble. Because we kind of make Jesus out to be, hey, he was just like you and me. And, and he was. He was tempted in all ways like us except without sin. That's because he was God. He was obedient to his father, perfectly obedient. And he was without sin. You and I were born in sin. He wasn't. Pretty amazing stuff, don't you think? But everything that Jesus went through, he went through as man. He just had the resilience of also being God. And everything that I feel, Jesus has already felt, and he's borne it for me as well. That's an important idea. So there's no problem that you can describe that heaven doesn't understand. Can I tell you something? If Jesus doesn't understand, it wouldn't really matter how much power he had. Because if he didn't know where to put the power, that power would not have any bearing on our lives. He knows exactly where to put the power. Why? Because he's experienced the things that you're going through. Jesus understands what we're going through. Jesus suffered at the hand of his critics. He suffered at the hand of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Jews, and the Gentiles. And every one of us have been through the same thing. And it can wear you down. It's one thing to experience physical strain. But it's the mental strain that can begin to wear you down. I've noticed here in the nation of Zimbabwe that part of our problem in surviving is that things that should be simple are very complex. Things that should just be ordinary have become very, very distressing. Paying your water bill should not be a stress. It should be done, quite frankly, electronically these days. But boy, we can't even get our bills reconciled because you have to have to pay a bribe these days. Things have become complex. The rule of law has broken down. Everybody's on the take. And the mental strain, the emotional strain is hard on us. This is no way to have to live. We all know that. 
So I understand the pain. Jesus understands the pain. So Jesus feels the pressure of the criticism. He feels the strain of his own exhaustion of preaching all afternoon under a hot Galilean sun in the open air. But he gets into the back of this boat and he rests. He falls asleep. Now it's, he's about to cross over to the other side. It's about a six or seven mile journey across the lake of the Sea of Galilee. He's going to go over to the less populated side of the, of the, of the lake so that he can find a place to rest with his disciples. So as the journey begins, you think everything's going to be just fine. It's going to be just fantastic. But uh, I heard one writer say this. He said, if you're going to go somewhere with Jesus, you must always be prepared for a storm. Some people think if you can just get into a church, everything's going to be all right. Uh, if that was the truth, everybody would be in church. But you know what? The truth of the matter is that more times than not, the storm gets inside the church. Jesus never promised that the ride in the church would be smooth. Jesus never promised that the storm wouldn't get into your ship, into the church. He never promised that there would be no storms, but he did say this. He says, I will be with you. So when you're in the boat with Jesus and you're in a storm, let me tell you something for free. It's always better with Jesus inside the boat than it is to be outside of the boat on your own. The storm is always worse outside of the boat. In fact, I would rather be in a storm with Jesus in the boat than in a calm lake of Galilee in the center of that lake without a storm. See, when you ride with Jesus, don't get disturbed when there's a storm. So here we have the disciples. They're in a boat with Jesus. And, and let me just tell you something about storms on the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. You know, when we were there, they were explaining to us why this lake can turn in a minute. There's two mountains and a valley between them, and it creates a vortex. The wind begins to blow from the, the north and when it does, it goes in between these valleys and it, and, and, and it speeds up. As the wind goes through this valley, it speeds up. The winds can get up to 125 miles an hour through that vortex. And the lake can become very, very disturbed very, very quickly. It can be smooth one minute and within 45 minutes, that lake can be a total mess, to be honest with you. That lake can be choppy. Now think about it. 74 miles an hour is hurricane strength. You're on a lake with hurricane strength uh, winds and the winds beat against the or blow against the waves and the waves begin to stir up and the waves beat against your boat and eventually the waves are in the boat. Now, I can't describe what this is like other than when I was uh, a young man in my 20s, I went on a sailing trip with a South African friend of mine, and we sailed down the intercoastal waterways and then out into the Gulf of Mexico about this time of the year. 
and a huge storm came across the bay while we were sailing. And the swells, the six-foot swells, turned into seven-foot waves. And as we were tacking out so we could tack back in, when we made the turn, a wave caught up with us and swamped our boat, and we capsized. We lost everything in our sailboat. We lost, and we're out in the sea, and this is a rough sea. There's nobody around. We're two miles out in the middle of the ocean. And I realized something. I realized that I was in big trouble. When the water that's supposed to be outside the boat gets inside your boat, you're in big trouble. So here we have the disciples on board with Jesus with winds up to between 50 and 125 miles an hour, and the ship is taking on water. The water is where it's not supposed to be. Now you have to understand, these men were not ordinary men. These men were fishermen. They'd fished this lake their whole lives. And you got to know that when the guys that were fishing on the lake begin to have grave concerns for their safety, there's something going on. Matthew uses a word for this, this word wind. It's called seismos in the Greek, which simply means turbulence that is causing a problem with the water. Now, uh, if you've never been in a boat, let me explain something to you. When water begins to fill your boat, it's in a place it's not supposed to be. Okay? And if there's enough water in your boat, your boat is going to sink. I remember the bilge pump on, I have a little, I have a little boat that we take up to Lake Kariba sometimes. I remember one time the bilge pump in my boat wasn't working and we were taking on a lot of water. It's not a good feeling. That boat gets heavier and heavier and you're trying to get it up on the plane to get the water out and it's just getting heavier and heavier and you're thinking we got to get to shore because once it gets to a certain level the boat is going down the boat is sinking so listen to what these seasoned fishermen say to Jesus one version says they say master don't you care that we're going under now here Peter's in the boat now, I like Peter. He's the kind of guy that always wants to be in control. Don't you just love brothers and sisters who are always in control? <laughs> we have a few in the church. No matter what happens to them, well, praise God. God, God will take care of us. They just, they're never ruffled by anything. But you know what? There's sometimes you just have to let go and let go of the control and cry out to God and just say, Lord, help me. And I'll tell you what, you better figure this out real quick because there are some times that God will allow a problem to come into your life that you can't handle. And if you could handle every problem in your life, then you would never need God and you would never pray. So God brings the problems into your life that you can't handle. God will cause things to happen in your life that you can't handle so that you will call on him. 
In fact, I would suggest that many of us today are in trouble because he can't get any glory until our resources dry up. This is the picture of the children of Israel. Israel was constantly going from trusting God to trusting themselves. As soon as God would bless them, they would forget God. As soon as God would prosper them, they would forget God. As soon as God gave them everything they'd cried out for, they would forget God. And then when they got into terrible trouble and things were out, and they'd lost everything, they'd cry out to God, and they'd seek God, and they'd look for God, and, and, and God would help them. You know, when you read those stories in the Old Testament, it's really a picture of you. That story is not about Israel. That story is about you. That's how you and I behave. Just tap your neighbor. I think he is talking about you today. See, if you still have a family member or a friend to call on, and they're the one who loans you the money, they get the credit for it. If you still have a bank to call on and they give you the loan, you, get, you give the bank the credit. If you still have a boss who likes you, he gets the credit. But what God has to do to get blessed, what, what does God have to do to get blessing and credit? What he has to do is he has to let all your resources run out. And when you have nobody else that you can go to anymore and you finally call upon him, you finally call upon Jesus, guess what? Then he finally gets the credit and he gets the glory for what he does in your life. And when you do call on him and he steps in just on time, then you have to give him the credit and you have to give him the glory for what he's done. So here we see the storm is raging. Here we see that even Peter has lost his composure. And by the way, I don't really think that when they went to Jesus, they went to the back of the boat and said, Master, Don't you care that we perish? <laughs> I, somehow, I just don't think it was very religious. In the midst of a storm is not the time to whisper your little prayer. In the midst of a storm, there's way, way, way too much noise. How many of you know that sometimes our trials are really noisy? The wind causes so much noise that you can't whisper anymore. Now, when things are going well, you can whisper your little prayers. Lord Jesus, I thank you that I'm not like these others. But when you get into the middle of a storm, the Bible says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When a real problem gets inside of your boat, when a real problem gets inside of your life, you'll change the way you pray. Go ahead. The reason you change is because trials, every trial has its own noise. It's got its own roar. These disciples are in the middle of a storm. Someone finally thinks about it and they say to themselves, wait a minute, why are we out here? Whose idea was this in the first place? Sometimes you need to ask the question, what brought me to this place? And if your answer is, the Lord told me to go, you're in good shape. But if that's not the answer, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. 
See, Ephesians 2 and verse 2 says this, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Here's what I want you to understand something. The devil is the prince of the power of the air. Where is this trouble coming from? Usually our trials and our troubles are of a demonic or at least a devilish nature. The enemy of our soul comes and he whips up the wind against us. The winds of adversity, the winds of tests, the winds of trials, the winds of lack. Whatever the wind is, it's our adversary, the devil, who whips up the wind. Amazingly, if you study through the scriptures, you'll find out that the sea is often referred to as the people. Have you ever noticed your problems are 99% with people? Have you ever noticed that? I've always said this, it would be a great, great privilege to pastor if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> this is a great job if you didn't have people. But it's the people that make it difficult. And guess what? The winds of the enemy come and he speaks into your life and he whips you up. And, and often it's the people that are beating on your ship. Getting into your ship, getting into your face, getting into your space. How many of you have ever had somebody try to sink your ship? Peter? Did somebody try to sink your ship? You know what I'm talking about. The Bible says that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. So when Jesus was asleep in the boat, he was asleep in the faith that his father had everything under control. In John chapter 5, verse 30, it says, I can of myself, my own self, do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father who has sent me. This is Jesus' attitude. He says, hey, listen, I'm not on my own mission. I'm on God's mission. I am in the palm of my Father's hand. He says, so nothing can happen to me if I'm in the center of God's will. Jesus was like you and I in every way. I said that earlier. He was all God, but he was all man. He didn't call upon his, his divinity to defeat the, stor the storms. He was tempted like us in all ways. He didn't get up as God and defeat the storms. The Bible says he was touched by our infirmities. The reason that God, that Jesus could stay asleep on the pillow in the back of the boat was because he recognized that his father was in control. You see, the rest that God wants you and I to have is exactly like that that Jesus had. Our trust is so complete in him that regardless of what is happening around us, we can stay at rest in Christ. Now, when you can come to know who is in control, you can rest in the storms where other people are totally disturbed. You know, just this last week, I had uh, someone I'm working with, and uh, they phoned, and there's a panic in the family. The, uh, the guy that I'm working with is being rushed to the hospital, and uh, 
You know, when the wife phones and, and is anxious, can you pray? Can you pray? Lots of a storm hit that house. And I said, just a minute. I said, Karen, just be quiet. I said, you know, I don't feel any alarm here. I said, just be still. Everything's going to be okay. You know, if you're led by the Spirit, you can discern these things. A few weeks ago, uh, one of the one of our friends was their their, their daughter was having a baby, and and uh, I get this frantic call from her mother, who's a medical doctor, and the tests that they had just run on the daughter were like the baby's five weeks premature, the baby's going to be, it's, <laughs> and she's hyperventilating, and I just said, hold on, hold on, hold on. I said, let me pray. And as I'm praying, I have no alarm in my spirit. I'm saying, I said, it's all going to be okay. A few hours later, the baby came out just fine. It was premature, but guess what? Didn't need an incubator, didn't need anything. They found out later that the test equipment, this was in South Africa, was 10 years old and wasn't calibrated correctly and was giving all the wrong readings. But, you know, I'll tell you what, if you're going to go by everything you see, you're going to really get yourself in a knot. But if you learn to go by the Spirit, you can probably get a lot more assurance from what God says than what the world says. So it is in the storms of life. If you're going to listen to the news, if you're going to listen to the government, if you're going to listen to everything else, you're going to get worked up. Those waves are going to get in your ship. But if you can start listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, if you can listen to Jesus... I know some people think that the politicians are in control. But the politicians know that they're not in control. Some people think that the police are in control. But you all know that the police aren't in control. Most of them are really frightened. Some people think that the prophets are in control. Let me tell you something. Most of them are just hoping for another sales gimmick. Ask Brother Monangagwa who's in control. 50 years, I mean, think about it. 50 years you serve. 50 years you lay your life down for a cause. Boom, it's over. After 50 years, it, that's, well, that, I'll bet he has a storm in his boat. You see, the only power that controls anything now is the power of God. And you and I have access to that power through Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. So here's my question. What will Jesus do? What will Jesus do? One scholar says that when Jesus was in the back of the boat, he was resting on what is known as the pilot's pillow. Well, if Jesus is your pilot, you'll never have to worry about the storm. The problem is that Many of us, when we get in a storm, we try to grab the rudder of the ship and steer our way out of that storm. We think we can do this. Why don't we let the one who's resting on the pilot's pillow steer us out of our storm? The disciples are crying out, don't you care that we perish? So the question today is, does Jesus care? Does Jesus care? Does he care where you and I are at? Does he care where you are? I have news for you. Yes, he cares. 
There isn't a sparrow that falls from the sky. There's not a hair that falls from your head that he doesn't know about it. Not only does he not know about it, he cares about it. He sees the sparrow fall. Don't, he, don't you think he knows about the bill you owe? You don't think he knows that? Or the son or the daughter that's in trouble? That's breaking your heart? Or the problems that you're facing? Or the trials or the tests that you're going through? He knows. Not only is Jesus powerful, but he's sensitive. He cares about you. So they're asking, don't you care that we perish? I always say there's a little bit of schizophrenia going on here. Master, don't you care that we perish? Well, how can you perish if he's master? Anyway, I'll leave that for another thought. So what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? Think about it. Think about this storm. Think about it. Have you ever been in 125 mile hour gusts? Have you ever been in a rainstorm when the rain is blowing sideways? Have you ever been in a wavy boat where it's moving like this? These aren't big boats. Come to Israel. You'll see. These aren't big boats. And Jesus is at the back of the boat asleep. So what does he do? The Bible says he stands up. I don't think this was easy to stand up. I don't think the disciples were standing up. I think they were hunkered down holding on for dear life. Why did Jesus stand up? I'll tell you why he stood up. He stood up to show every child of God that he was able to go through any storm that came his way. So that when you and I as sons of God could also understand that when we go through the storms of life that beat against and fill our boats, we can get through them just like he did. He'll stand with us. Jesus was able to stand up in the storm by the power of his Father. And you and I can stand up in our storms by the same power, the power of God that helps us. I've watched some of you go through storms. I've watched some of you that have gone through things that were designed to break you. Things that were made to put you flat on your backs. To help you become broke and broken. But I've watched you stand up. I've watched you stand up. Trusting not in your own strength. Not in your own abilities. But in the name of Jesus. Jesus stands up. Not in his own strength. But in the strength of God. Not in his own deity but in the faith of his father who has put him in that boat and he speaks to the wind. Think about this. In John chapter 1 and verse 3 it says, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. You see, the power of creation was the word of God. Jesus and the word are one. When he created the world, it was his voice that said to the earth, be situated where you are said to the seas, don't cross these boundaries. Spoke to the wind and says, you'll blow where I tell you to. These elements already had heard the voice of Jesus.
And although he had laid down his deity, he called out to God and said, I need your help in this situation. I have a storm on my hands. And I want your disciples, my disciples to know that you hear me. I want you to, them to know that your power is available to me. So still this storm. I want my disciples to know that just as I am submitted to you, they too can submit to you through me and speak to the storms in their lives as well. So Jesus speaks to the wind and the wind recognizes the one who's speaking. Wind that is blowing totally out of control. Here's the voice of Jesus and suddenly stops blowing. Stops. Peace! Be still. What a word. What a word. You know, when the disciples used to talk to Jesus and they'd call him master, one of the words for master is the word didaskalos, D-I-D-A-S-K-O-L-O-S. It means teacher or one who teaches with authority. Nicodemus came to him and said, Rabbi, teacher, uh, uh, how did I say it? Didaskalos, didaskalos, that's the word. The one who teaches with authority. Uh, Zacchaeus called him rabbi. Climbed down out of a tree. Levi, a tax collector, a Zimru official. Can you imagine? <laughs> but you know what? When you're in a storm, you don't need a teacher. And that's what the problem is in the body of Christ today. We have so many teachers, so many instructors, but few fathers. So many instructors, but so few that can actually bring somebody to the table and make something happen. You need someone who will take action. When you have a real problem, you don't need someone to philosophize. Well, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. No, I don't need that right now. When you're between a rock and a hard place, when you're down to your last dollar, you don't need somebody to talk to you. You don't need another prophecy. You don't need another prophet to take more profit. You need somebody to do something. And in Luke 8 and verse 24, it says, And they came to him and they awoke him and they said, Master, Master. We perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. The word here that is used is not teacher. It is the word epistates, and it's a Greek word for commander, superintendent, one who controls powerful things. Hallelujah. They didn't call upon didaskalos. No, they called upon epistates. Someone who could do something. And I want you to know he didn't let him down. Jesus doesn't let us down. He spoke to the wind and he stopped the noise. And the wind stopped making the noise around them. Now the Bible says there were other boats following Jesus. You know, it's one thing to be in the boat with Jesus. But what were those people doing in those little boats? It says they were smaller vessels. 
If this boat's taking on water, can, I can only imagine what those boats were doing. What were they doing? What were they thinking? All I can imagine is that there's some guy holding on to his boat, being thrown all over, and he's watching that boat that Jesus is in. And all of a sudden, he sees Jesus stand up above all the others in that little boat over there. And he's watching and while he's being real to rock. And, and he watches Jesus stand up and he sees Jesus speak to the wind. And the next thing, shoo, and he says, what manner of man is this that even the winds obey him? I'll tell you what, it's a powerful, powerful, wonderful Jesus that we serve. And here you sit, and you have the nerve to wonder about your future. Every one of us will find ourselves in a storm. But I'm so glad that I know somebody who can tell the wind, be quiet. I don't want my son to be scared. I don't want him to be harmed. Be quiet. Jesus doesn't want you harmed. If you don't believe that, then can you explain to me the power, the same power that kept three Hebrew boys from being burned in a fire? Or that somehow made a hungry lion not eat Daniel in a lion's den? When Jesus stands in the storm, he doesn't do it for himself, but he does it for you and he does it for me. He does it to bring peace into our lives. You know, when I was a, first in this country, I had a plane and I was a pilot and I was flying. And I remember, I was not a good pilot, by the way. There's a saying, there are no old, bold pilots. And, and, and that's true. And I, I, that's why I don't fly anymore. You know, if you're going to fly, you got to do that full time. That's gotta be, it's not a hobby. It really isn't. I mean, you got to fly a lot to be good at it. And I'll never forget flying to South Africa. I had a number of incidences where I barely got away with my life. But there's one in particular where I'm flying with another guy who's a very good pilot, by the way. But he'd, he'd, he'd been working all night, and he was exhausted. He was a farmer. And, and we, we decided to fly all the way to Peter Maritzburg. So we'd flown to, uh, he flew the first leg, and he flew to... Uh, Lanceria Airport, and we filled up with fuel, and then we began to fly south towards Peter Maritzburg. And as we're flying, he's lay, he decided he's going to lay down in the back of the plane and let me fly. So I'm flying. <laughs> now, listen, I did all my flight training down there. I know this area. But the more I fly, the more these wind clouds, and I'm saying, man, and the speed of my but I didn't know what the wind speed was. We're actually sitting still almost. The wind against us is as fast as we're going. I mean, and we're drifting. We're drifting. And I'm looking and I'm saying, that looks like the Tegela River. And we keep drifting and drifting. Finally, I realized that, man, we've been flying here for about four hours, five hours, and we're not getting very far. And I'm running out of fuel. And this guy's back in the back of the plane sleeping. And I realized that I have no business flying. 
And so I wake him up and I say, hey, uh, Neville, uh, uh, I think you should take a look at this. He looks around. He says, oh, my God. He says, where are we? <laughs> he says, how did you let us get down to that much fuel? I said, well, he says, look, and he does some, he says, we have a terrible headwind here. He says, in this storm, he says, we got to get out of this. So he gets in the pilot seat and he takes us down and we're in trouble. I was just glad he was there. <laughs> in my flight training, we had flown out this direction once before, and I had landed with my, my flight instructor in a farmer's field. And I looked down, and I said, hey, I know that place. But when I flew there, there was nothing in the field. It was just a place to land. Now there's full of wheat. I said, but I, I, said, I know that's level. I so we come, and he turns, in and we land in a wheat field. The farmer comes out. We take some of his petrol. We fill our car. You're not supposed to use petrol, but... You could do it once. We filled up our plane. We turned around. We took off. We come up and we get back on course. We reset our course. And we come in just as a storm is coming. We're the last plane to land in Peter Maritzburg under a storm. I mean, this storm is coming off the coast. And we get socked in for three days. Can I tell you something? Storms come. Storms come. But who's driving? Who's your pilot? I tell you what, I had to stop and say, hey, I can't be the pilot. I can't pilot through this storm. And I can't tell you how many times I was piloting. I was being the pilot when I shouldn't have been. And it's the same in life. You may be in a storm. Amen. You may be in a storm today. But I want you to know there's somebody in the storm with you. When will we have enough wisdom to learn to let the pilot take control in our storm? When are we going to let God drive? See, many of us have developed habits. And here's the problem with habits. The older you get, the stronger those habits become. As the years go by, instead of letting go and letting someone else fly or drive in the storm, we hold on. We hold on. Whatever your problem may be, Jesus, powerful Jesus, can stand up in the middle of your storm. He can save you from the wind and the waves that are beating in against your boat, that are pouring into your boat. And all of the noise and all of the fear can cease and be stopped. You see, Jesus is powerful enough to stand straight and still in the storm. And he can speak to the wind and he can speak to the water and they will obey. So what storm are you in? What storm is our nation in? What's the name of your storm? What wind blows around you? What water is filling up your boat? What is about to take you down? What is it that makes you unable to see or to hear so that you don't know what to do? It really doesn't matter what your storm is. It only matters that Jesus can stand still in your storm. 
And Jesus can stand up and tell your storm to be still. There's too many people walking around in storms in Zimbabwe today. We have people looking for all kinds of things to calm the storms in their lives. The government is looking east, north, south, and yes, even west. But the storm keeps on raging. They won't look to God. Our government does not look to God. They'll look everywhere but God. People are looking to drugs. How many of you know we have a real drug problem in Zimbabwe right now? And we all know who's making money off of the addiction of our children. It's not some low-class person. These are high people that have bribed and, and, and controlled the drug market. We even know who they are. But you can't touch them because they're protected. Sex. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Divorce. Jumping from the frying pan into the fire. Money. Thinking you can buy your way to happiness or build a big enough house, house to make you feel happy. Only to find out that you have a house and you don't have a home. Schemes. Had one guy come to me at the airport the other day. He says, oh, I'm so glad we're back to burning money. <laughs> Okay, I guess that's one way of looking at it. <laughs> Immigration. There are people they think there are people actually think they can run away from their problems. But when they get wherever they're going, the storm is still with them. It's the same storm. And all these things that we do just makes the storms worse. You see, only the love and the power of Jesus standing up in your boat can calm the storm in your life. You know, some people are trying to buy fancy cars thinking that they can drive away from their storms. <laughs> the only way to get out of a storm is to call somebody who can calm it. And that somebody is Jesus. Is there somebody here today who needs to stand up with me and say to Jesus, Master, Lord, speak to my, speak to my storm. Just stand wherever you are. Let's pray. Just stand. Stand with me. Let's speak to our storm today. I think that in Zimbabwe, there's been a storm but somehow there's a remnant that are standing up and they're saying Jesus speak to our storm there's some of you that are going through things today and you need Jesus to stand up in that storm and speak to it families marriages addictions there are people today standing here, you're addicted and you don't know what to do. Your life is being tossed. If you look back at your life, it's never been what you dreamt it to be. 
Will you ever let Jesus stand up in the middle of your life, your boat? Can he stand up today? Put your hand on your heart. Let's just say this. Say, Jesus, Master, do you care that we're perishing? I know you do. So I'm asking today that as I pour out my heart to you, you'll stand up. Stand up. Stand strong in my life. Speak to this storm. Thank you that you love me that you care for me, that you're my Savior, my Lord, my protector. God, I can't thank you enough for what you did in giving us Jesus. Now, Jesus, stand up. Now, why don't you just talk to God about your storm? What are the storms or the storms? Just tell him, say, Jesus, the storm of my court case, the storm of my financial situation, the storm of my marriage, the storm of my, oh God, pour your heart out to him. Will you let him stand up in that? Will you let him stand up in that? Or are you going to keep hold of that rudder? You're going to keep trying to control it. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just bow your heads and just close your eyes for a minute. Just say peace. Be still. Peace, be still. Just let peace come into your heart right now. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.